everybody, welcome to the export. I am Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I gotta ask. I know we both love us and Jimmy Butler, but was he really the right choice for the Eastern Conference Finals MVP? That's tough. I'm gonna be honest, I think I would have gave it to Kayla Martin because, like, even in the losses, he was still consistent. Yeah, I. Based solely off of that series, yeah, I would go Caleb Martin. But I think with what Jimmy has just been able to do this whole playoff run, I think you kind of have to give him something. And so, yeah. but yeah, if we're just talking solely the Eastern Conference Finals, it should have been Caleb Martin. But either way, I'm not complaining because Jimmy Buckets is back in the NBA Finals, which of course we are going to get to later in our uh, NBA Finals breakdown. We are also going to talk some of the latest news surrounding Jimmy Garoppolo and the Las Vegas Raiders, whether or not they made a big mistake going after him instead of potentially drafting a rookie. And also we are going to discuss some of the latest discourse around the NBA, such as um, my Scotty Pippen calling out Michael Jordan before his arrival and whether or not prime Dwight Howard is actually better than prime Nikola Jokic. But before we get to any of that, please sure check out the export.net, our peak export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Extra Board. By the way, wrestling fans, I promise we didn't forget about you. I We have filmed I mean, recorded our Night of Champions recap, but that mug was almost an hour long, so it's its own episode, so you can find that on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Just know, we got you. It's just not going to be a part of this episode. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get things started with the NFL. Not really much to report, but we're going to start off with your boys. The uh, Pittsburgh Steelers signed veteran edge rusher Marcus Golden on a one-year deal. I'm not all that surprised by it because they haven't really had many ed other edge rushers this past offseason, and they missed out on getting Bud Dupree. But overall, I do like this move just because Marcus Golden isn't exactly a household name, but he has been productive throughout his career. Yeah, I'm in the uh, – I fall into the category of what's the uh, Shaq meme that everybody keeps saying? Yeah, uh, I'm so familiar with his work. You said what? The one where he's like, I was unfamiliar with your work. Yeah, so I'm unfamiliar with his work. Um, so, I mean, it's good to ask somebody. I, I just don't know anything about him. Yeah, so Marcus Golden came out of Mizzou a few years ago. And, I mean, I think his best year he had double-digit sacks. I could be wrong, but I think he got him in that year he was with uh, – the Giants, I'm not totally sure. But, I mean, he's been a consistent guy throughout his career. I mean, like I said, not flashy, but he's been pretty solid. And I think he's a solid rotational piece. Truthfully, in terms of, like, career-wise, I would take him over Bud Dupree. So, I think it was a good move. And it was a cheap move at that. So, can't really go wrong with that. But let's talk about a move that was not exactly cheap. And that was the... Las Vegas Raiders decided to bring in Jimmy Garoppolo to be their franchise quarterback for the next three years. And as we all know, his season with the 49ers was cut short after he suffered an ankle injury. And it turns out that injury is not exactly as far along as people would have liked. I'm sorry, it was a foot injury. But uh, reportedly, back in March, Jimmy Garoppolo failed his physical with the Las Vegas Raiders. And that was the reason for his postponed press conference. Then, if Garoppolo does not pass a physical by the start of the season, the Raiders are free to move on. If his, he injures the same foot again this season, the Raiders can also 
cut him for nothing. You and I have already kind of talked about the history of Jimmy Garoppolo and how injuries have played a big role in his career. So let's start things off with the simplest question. Do you feel like the Raiders made the mistake going after him as opposed to potentially someone else in the free agent market? I guess the, the best way to sum up what I'm about to, how I feel, this feels like this is the most Raiders move imaginable. Like, you go from Derek Carr, who is like a mid, a mid to good quarterback, bringing in Jimmy Garoppolo, who's another mid to kind of good quarterback, but now you might not even have him because he's, his, he's injured, and his injury results might affect his um, signing there. Like, I definitely think that this was a mistake because even though, you know, it was Aaron Rodgers to the Jets, you also could have potentially maybe made a move for him or maybe made a move for Lamar. And you could have actually had somebody that's actually, like, worth, in my opinion, worth bringing in. Yeah, like... On the one hand, I'm hoping that Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy just because, mainly for Devontae Adams, because, I mean, you go to Vegas with the hopes of you get to play with your former college teammate. Y'all put up pretty good numbers, but he's out the door after one year, and you're stuck. You signed your contract. They're not going to get rid of you. So you're there. Jimmy Garoppolo, he has familiarity with Josh McDaniel, so you would hope that that will lead to good things. But, I mean, if this injury continues to persist, it's like, dang. Devontae Adams is in a really crappy situation. Not to mention other quarterbacks on their roster aren't exactly great. They drafted Aiden O'Connell, I believe, out of Purdue. And then they just signed 37-year-old veteran Brian Hoyer to be the backup. Neither of those guys I fully expect them to see significant action or would trust to see significant action if Jimmy Garoppolo isn't available. And so in that instance, it's like... I'm a bit torn because on the one hand, I understand why they would do it because he knows Josh McDaniel's system. But on the other hand, like you mentioned, there's other better quarterbacks you could go after. And sure, it'd be a bit more of a hassle and more expensive. But I mean, at least as of right now, we know that they're going to play. But all right, let's go ahead and turn things to the draft. I mentioned that they did draft a rookie in Aiden O'Connell. But... Who's to say they shouldn't have taken the quarterback sooner? They had the seventh overall pick. Will Levis was available by that time. Hendon Hooker still could have been available. Sure, they took a quarterback later on, but do you think that the Raiders regret not taking a quarterback earlier just in case Jimmy G can't go? Mm, I would say yes, just because, like you said, if you if he can't go, maybe if you would have got a guy earlier, he might be more he might be a little bit more developed to where he could potentially come in and be a week one starter instead of having to maybe scramble and try to bring in the guy. Because I don't know who's who's the backup still, Jerry Stidham? No, Jerry Stidham's actually in Denver now. So, yeah, like, you don't have, like, a consistent backup. Um, so I think they might have regretted that as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I understand getting Tyree Wilson because – Chandler Jones is great, but he had a bad year last year. Max Crosby, you got to have pass rush, especially competing with the quarterbacks in that division. So in that retrospect, I understand. And then you traded away Darren Waller. Michael Mayer, getting him would make sense too. But it's like, I feel like you could have found another tight end later on. And sure, 
uh, Will Levis didn't last as long. I believe he got picked before the top, I mean, before the Raiders had the opportunity to get him. But maybe a Hendon Hooker. I think that Hendon Hooker would have been a better option than Aiden O'Connell, but we shall see. All right, so a couple more questions. Do you think that Will, will Jimmy G start week one for the Raiders? Um, I mean, the way that it's looking with this coming out, I'm thinking it's hot, it's unlikely. Because if he was on his, if he was on the trajectory to start, I feel like this information would have never gotten leaked out. True. Because I don't think he's participated in OTAs yet. Um, and so I would agree. I think as of right now, I think he will start. Because, I mean, we, we got three months, three and a half months for the season starts. So I'm hoping for his sake he'll be able to start. I don't know what it's going to look like. But I think come September, he will start. All right, this is just a bonus question. As most of you probably know, Tom Brady has bought a stake in the ownership stake for the Las Vegas Raiders. And now, since Tom Brady's retired and it seems like he's legitimately done this time, everybody's kind of expecting Tom to, you know, make a comeback or thinks it's possible for him. So with him having an ownership stake in Vegas and a part of the team, on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely do you think it is for Tom Brady to suit up for the Raiders at some point of this season? Zero. I don't. I think I think he'll have like an inkling to want to do it, but I don't think he'll do it. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, it, it would make a fun story, especially if. I know I'm so sick of Tom Brady championship stories, but it would just be so crazy if he would come in like midseason, Jimmy G can't go, none of the quarterbacks are on the roster ready. He's like, yeah, I guess I'll play, and then messes around and leads them to a Super Bowl. I I might have to stop watching NFL after that just because I would be so disgusted by Tom Brady. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen either. But all right, let's go ahead and play our game of believable or buffoonery. Starting with the Green Bay Packers. You mentioned Aaron Rodgers a bit ago. He is currently in New York living his best life with the Jets. And now it is officially the Jordan Love era. And while many people do not ex know what to expect with that change, the team still feels confident. For example, running back Aaron Jones said, if you think we're in a rebuild, then you got the wrong team wrong place the team feels very confident and i respect that so believable or buffoonery the packers will make the playoffs this season i'm gonna say uh i'm gonna say believable i think their division has gotten stronger over the course of the free agency and the draft but i still could see them sneaking in as a wild card because they still have a lot of good pieces on their team they just have a young, inexperienced quarterback, but like they have all the tools in place to still be really successful. Like they have a dual-headed running back attack with Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. Their defense underperformed last season, but they also have good talent on their side of the ball, so where they could be a good, a dominant unit. So I could put some stock in them, maybe, probably making the playoffs this year. It's weird because their defense is good, and I think they have improved. I'm sure I, – I feel like you and I kind of both were kind of questioning the Lucas Van Ness pick in the first round. But, I mean, after that, they really did try to invest in adding some weapons for Jordan Love, so I got to respect that. And, I mean, everyone's kind of talking about the NFC North as if it is the Lions division or people are excited to see what the Bears do and same for the Vikings. So nobody's really talking about the Packers, which I don't even remember the last time that was even a – Thing. 
But I don't know if I think they make the playoffs. I think that they could vie for a wild card spot. I think they're still going to be competitive. But in terms of a playoff team, I don't think so. Just because, I mean, just off the top of my head, I think Eagles win the East. Right now, I'm going to say Vikings win the North. Obviously, that could change. 49ers win the West and Saints win the South. Then Cowboys are going to make the playoffs, or at least I believe they are. Um, I could see Seattle making it and then the Lions making it. And that's seven teams right there. And that's not even mentioning other teams that could be a surprise. So as of right now, I'm going to say buffoonery. All right, speaking of buffoonery, though, Le'Veon Bell was one of the top running backs of the 2010s just because, just watch him play. If y'all don't know who Le'Veon Bell was when he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers, you should go see him. But heading into the 2018 season, there was a lot of discourse between him and the Pittsburgh Steelers revolving a contract. He didn't want to be paid like a running back. He wanted to be paid wide receiver money because, as we all know, wide receivers make substantially more money than running backs. However, the Steelers were unwilling to give him that contract, and thus he ended up holding out the whole 2018 season. Misses that season. Um, what's his name? James Conner steps up in his place, plays well. Le'Veon Bells goes to the Jets and it proves he's not the same player and is never that same player again. Now, years later, Le'Veon Bell talks about that decision and admits that he made a mistake. He said, it was like a little petty, the guarantee stuff. I'm thinking, could I have just ate it? Yeah, I probably could have. So, believable or buffoonery, Le'Veon Bell destroyed his career by holding out the 2018 season. A hundred percent. Because if he would have stayed on the team, James Conner might would have had success, but I think Le'Veon Bell would have still been one of the more successful running backs in the NFL at that point. He probably wouldn't have got the money that he wanted, but he would have gotten a better contract. And he, if anything, even if he did have a decline, I think he had a decline just because he was away from football for so long and then he went to a new team and a big part of like the way his running style is set up is you need to have familiarity with your O-line and like he had that with Pittsburgh and he didn't have it in New York for sure and also thinking back on the Jets at that time I mean their offensive line was not good and one of the bit the beauties of Le'Veon Bell's game was just how patient of a runner he was and you mentioned it with the familiarity with the Steelers offensive line he anticipated when those holes were going to open up and then we hit him and go on from there not to mention he was such a receiving threat but you go to a Jets team that had been terrible for years did not have a good quarterback nor a good offensive line just struggling across the board and to me not that this was funny but he made less money going to the Jets than he would have made had he stayed in Pittsburgh which was insane to me so yeah I think that he messed up his career but I respect that he's able to admit it now just because as a Baltimore fan Le'Veon Bell has pissed me off many a time, and I didn't hate to see him not play and lead the division. I'll tell you that one for sure. But all right, last but certainly not least, we got to talk about my brother-in-law, who I won't say last season destroyed his career, but it has called in a lot of questions about its legitimacy, which I don't think it's fair, but 
that's neither here nor there. Um, his former TJ, KJ Wright, talked about this upcoming season for Russell Wilson and said, if Russell doesn't figure it out this season, his legacy is definitely on the line. So, believable or buffoonery, this upcoming season is the biggest of Russell Wilson's career. I'm going to say believable because I think anybody's upcoming season is the biggest season of their career. I disagree with that statement just because I, I believe that this is the biggest season of his career because it seemed the NFL, I say it all the time, but it's true. The NFL is a what have you done for me lately season. So the fact that Russell Wilson has been the best quarterback Seattle has ever had, none of that matters because his first season with Denver after Denver gave up a lot to get him was not good by any stretch of the imagination. And so not only are you entering your mid-30s, you're entering your second year, and now the pressure is truly on. You now have a new head coach who everybody heralds as an offensive line. You're getting a better offensive line. Your receivers are expected to be healthy. Everything seems to be in place for Russell Wilson to have a better year. And I would say that this is the biggest year of his career because in other seasons, like, I don't think he's faced this much pressure going in. Like, as a rookie, Nobody really expected Russell Wilson to be the Russell Wilson we all know. Actually, it was supposed to be Matt Flynn, who was the franchise quarterback, but he played well in the preseason, took the job. Decade later, here we are. And so I would say this is for sure his biggest season just because I think that with the new head coach, who is, as we all know, Sean Payton is very, he likes things the way that he likes them. He likes to bring in his own guys. So I feel like if Russ does have another letdown of a year, the Broncos will not hesitate to either bench him or move on. I don't know if a trade will happen just because of how big his contract is and, I mean, who's going to trade for somebody who's had back-to-back -back disappointing years. But I think that this year is going to be really, really big for Russ. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Honestly, for the past, since our last show, there's only been one series going on, so we can probably skip our takeaways. But I got Kayla Martin as my Eastern Mamba. I don't know if you agree or not. I do. Okay. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, shout out to Derek White, though, because that play in game six was insane. And he uh, had the Celtics won that series. He almost got Mamba of the year. I mean, Mamba of the week just for that because that was sick. But all right, let's go ahead and talk some roster moves. Starting off with the Golden State Warriors. Um, longtime general manager and team executive Bob Myers has announced that he will be stepping down from his position yesterday. Um, he was the help to architect the Golden State Warriors that we now know. The four-time NBA champions helped to bring in a lot of the talented coaches and players on the team. But it seems like he is ready to move on, citing it's just time. Let's be honest, the Warriors over the past few months have not exactly looked like the Warriors that we've grown accustomed to. And especially with this season and the infighting within the team, it has people West wondering if the dynasty is in fact over. So with Bob Myers leaving, do you feel like this is kind of a sign of the Warriors on a decline and he wanted to get out of Dodge? Or do you really just think that he was ready for a change? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think it's a sign of them. Like, I would not be surprised if some other moves happen during this offseason. Like, one of the more notable ones. Like, I would not be surprised if Draymond Green ends up on another team. 
Um, I just think that like everybody has like teams they have their runs and you find ways to extend them. The Warriors found a way to extend them last year. Exactly. And then it and got them another title. But I think like eventually your time the time runs out and I think the Warriors time is finally starting to show like it is running out. I think Steph's still gonna be amazing, but like the pieces around him are a question like Clay Thompson, he had flashes last season of being I mean of this past season of being the clay of old. He also had really bad stretches. We all know the Draymond Green and Jordan Poole incident. We saw how Draymond Green performed in the series against the Lakers. Um, and I I just think, like, it might be just time for them to go ahead and call it call it, and understand, like, hey, we just need to move on. And I think he understood that, which in turn made him say, like, hey, it's time for me to move on. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so do you think that they should go into – I guess I won't say full rebuild mode, but do you think that we're going to start seeing some of the disintegration of the core pieces of that franchise, such as, I know you mentioned Draymond, but what about Clay? What about Steve Kerr? Figures like that. Because I don't think Steph going nowhere, but I can't speak for everybody else. I don't think, I don't think Steve Kerr is going anywhere. I could, I, I would, I would be surprised if Clay went somewhere. But I also think it could be a real possibility just because, like, again, when they were at their peak, him and Steph were, like, the two great best shooters in the NBA on the same team. Yeah. Steph is still the greatest shooter, but Clay has dropped tremendously. Um, so I think it'll be more like a... Like, I can see it being, like, they'll be in the playoffs, but they won't be, like, a team that you can consider a championship-level team anymore yeah. type of review. I feel that. I mean, that's better than completely starting from scratch, so I could absolutely see that. But, all right, let's talk about a couple teams that are playoff contenders and have championship aspirations but came up short this year, starting with the Milwaukee Bucks. After firing Mike Budenholzer, it was announced earlier this week that they have found their new head coach and a former Raptors assistant, Adrian Griffin. Uh, the Bucks are currently working on the financial terms of the contract, and Griffin reportedly was a favorite for Giannis Antetokounmpo, which apparently uh, Shans reported that Giannis was vehemently against any other candidate besides Griffin. So how do you like this move? I mean, it's hard to say because I don't. He's an assistant coach. He was an assistant under Nick Nurse, so I believe he could be a he could be a really good coach. But it's also like you won't know till you actually see him coaching. Right. And the books are like a weird, like they have really good talent, but like I do, I will say like. If you're able to properly coach them, then you can have a championship-level team. And if you aren't able to coach them as well, you'll have a team that can make, like, the Eastern Conference Finals because they're so talented, but then get put out. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, like you said, it's hard to really gauge because I don't believe A. Griffin has been a head coach for anybody else, so I'm not exactly sure what the Bucks are getting 
but I think it is a welcome sign if your star player is in favor of them. Now, of course, those opinions could change, but I think that at least he's also a good start if one of the best players in the world wants you as their coach. So I hope it works out for them just because I like the Bucks, more specifically I like Giannis, but we shall see. All right, continuing on with coaching news, the Philadelphia 76ers have hired former Raptors head coach Nick Nurse as their HC, and reportedly he chose the 76ers over the Suns. Would you have made that same decision? Do you think that the 76ers is a better job? Uh, yeah. Just solely because I think the roster is more complete for Philly, even without James Harden. I think that they have a more complete roster than Phoenix, so I probably would have did the same thing. I'd agree with that, and also, I mean, let's be honest, Phoenix right now, like Philly, they were expected to be a championship contender, sure, because Joel Embiid is a reigning MVP. He's a bad man. But Phoenix, you go above and beyond to bring in Kevin Durant, you are at least expected to go to the Eastern Conference Finals every year. At the very least. So I feel like, by comparison, I think the Philly job is a lot less pressure. And like you mentioned, you have a more complete roster across the board to work with as opposed to Phoenix where you have DeAndre Aiden who's been disgruntled. You don't really know how long he's going to be there. Kevin Durant, who was amazing, but we yet to see if he can lead a team to a championship. Devin Booker, same thing. Don't know what's going on with CP3 and a very lackluster bench. So, yeah, I would agree. I think that Nick Nurse made the right decision. All right, keeping things in the Eastern Conference, we got to talk about some injury news, more specifically with Lonzo Ball. We talked about it a month or so ago just about his lack of recovery and how he's still struggling to be able to run and do basic things. And it's being reported that the Bills probably, I mean, the Bulls probably believe that Lonzo Ball won't ever play basketball again, which is an incredibly disheartening thing to hear for somebody so young. Um, but like we mentioned back in March, the Bulls confirmed that Wall Ball had gone through a cartilage transplant surgery and still remains out indefinitely. So with this news, how... I don't want to say we're never going to see him play in the NBA again, but I would not be shocked if he does not play at least this next season, maybe half of the season after that. Yeah, that's tough because it's just like, if he's not able to run, then I, I would like, yeah, it's a guarantee that he's probably not playing this season. But... It's just insane to think like it was just because I feel like it was just, it seemed like it was just a regular injury when it happened, and now it's like oh he might not ever play the game ever again. Like that's just wild to me. No, it, it's crazy and it's scary to think because I mean when he first got to the Bulls, I mean Lonzo was balling, and I mean yeah. fans across the board were starting to feel more confident in seeing him and. Uh, Zach Levine together. Sure, it got a bit more complicated when they got Nikola Vucic and then DeMar DeRozan, but still, I mean, at when he was on the court, he still played pretty well. And so now, I, I would hate that for Lonzo if this was it. But kind of continuing on with the Bulls, we just kind of talked about quite a few names. Do you think that they should keep thugging it out with what they have, or do you think that they should get into rebuild mode? Because as much as I like some of their core players, I don't think that they work well enough together for this team to have substantial postseason success. They definitely need to like 
shift some things around. Like, I think, being honest, in order to unlock Zach Levine, they're going to have to let DeMar go. Right. Um, and vice versa, I feel. Yeah. Then, but it's like, in my opinion, I will let DeMar go over Zach because Zach is younger. Yeah. Um, Nikola Vucevic, I would keep him because if you let DeMar go, you're going to need a co-star to pair up with Zach. And his game can kind of mesh well because he he's a pick-and-pop big, pick-and-roll big, and he can post up. So you can use him in multiple ways on the court. I think you have to figure out what what you want to do at point guard. Like, if Lonzo can't play anymore, do you want to roll out with um, A.O. DeSubu as your starter? Or do you want to try to draft someone? Or do you want to try to bring in a free agent? And then if you do let go of DeMar, who are you going to have at small forward? And also, um, your power forward spot isn't the strongest and might need some a little improvement. So, like, they have pieces to where they can make something shape. They just have to figure out what direction they want to go in. It's, it'll be interesting to see what Chicago does this offseason. I think it's going to be a very pivotal one just because, again, it feels like they're one of those teams that they're not bad, but they're not exactly good. It kind of feels like they're kind of stuck in this purgatory. And I think, like you said, I mean, they're going to have to make some big changes. I think DeMar probably would be the one to go, if not for any other reason. But like you said, Zach Levine is younger, but he's also your star player. DeMar has had some great games in Chicago, but there is no doubt that Zach Levine is their best player. And so he'd be the one that they would want to keep unless they feel like they could get a bigger return and then find better players to build around DeMar DeRozan. But that will be an interesting storyline to follow this offseason. But all right, let's go ahead and talk about the NBA Finals, a finals that I don't think anybody really expected to see. I know neither of us did, but I'm not mad about it. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm good with this upcoming final slate with the Nuggets and the Miami Heat kicking off this Thursday night in Denver. So let's start off with a positive note for both teams and their biggest strengths. You can start first. Biggest strengths. I'm going to go with the Nuggets first. I think their biggest strength is their overall roster. Like they, they have competent players up and down their roster. You start off obviously with Nikola Jokic who is arguably a top five player in the NBA. Then you move down to Jamal Murray now that he's healthy. He's a very competent secondary piece to Nikola Jokic. You have KCP, a guy knows his role as a defender and three-point three shooter. Michael Porter Jr., he, he's gotten better overall in the stance of like, he still can be a really good streaky scorer, but he is he doesn't come across as much of a liability on defense as he's had in the years past. Aaron Gordon is a Swiss Army knife for them. He can he's not that great of a shooter, but he's he can shoot. He can play defense and we all know when he gets around the rim, he can finish. Then you look at their bench, they have Bruce Brown who another Swiss Army knife guy that can play point guard, can be a, a solid defender, can shoot the three. Um they have Jeff Green coming off the bench. He could be a good piece. Like, they just have a really good, solid, complete roster up and down. And I think that's the strength for them. Yeah. And as far as Miami, I think it's it's the culture. Like, 
Miami, regardless of who you who they have on their team, they aren't going to back down. They're going to fight tooth and nail. It starts with their best player and Jimmy Butler. It starts with their matter of fact, not even their best player. It starts with their executive, yeah. Pat Riley. Then it goes down to the coach, and then it goes down to their best player. And I think a thing that another strength for Miami is they're one of the better defensive teams in the NBA, and they also can play multiple types of defenses. When you play a guy like Jokic, you don't want to keep giving him the same look over and over. Yeah. Um. For me, I mean, you pretty much hit it on the head with the Nuggets. Um. So not much to add there. But I would say the biggest strength with Miami is they have absolutely nothing to lose. Every series that they have been in, they have been the underdogs, and yet they've continued to fight and they continue to persevere. I mean, even when they were up on the Celtics. I believe the graphic was like the Celtics had a 97% chance to make the finals and the Heat had a 3% chance. And even now, I believe ESPN has them at an 11% chance to win a championship. So unlike other teams like who have to face all of that pressure and have to go in and everybody's expecting them to do it, nobody really is counting on the Miami Heat to do it. And like you mentioned, they the culture has been one that it does not matter whether you think they're going to win or they're going to lose. They are going to shock some people in some way shape or form and I think that because of that that's going to bode really well for them all right let's talk about the biggest weaknesses of both teams um biggest weaknesses starting again with the Nuggets I think a big weakness is is sometimes it could be Nikola Jokic or Bush or in the sense of like if Nikola Jokic doesn't at times doesn't have a great game the Nuggets don't necessarily perform to the best of their ability simply because, like, obviously they run so much of their offense through them. Mm-hmm. So that's the weakness of, like, hey, if Nikola Jokic has, like, a, a bad game here or there, can the others, like, really step up and give him a, um, a helping hand? I think a weakness for Miami, they got exposed against the Celtics, and I think it'll really get exposed against Denver is off um, – Securing rebounds. The Celtics got a ton of offensive rebounds against the Heat during this past series. And when you have a guy like Nikola Jokic, who's a great rebounder, that's something that could be exploited. And also, we all know when you get offensive rebounds, you get wide open, like really wide open with anything. It could be a layup or a, sh- or a three. And Nikola Jokic is the guy that can get a board and find it. So that's what I think the weaknesses of Miami. So I would say the weakness for Denver is this is their first time in the finals. And while everybody says they're going to take it one game at a time, they're just going to treat it like one, treat it like every other game. You can't because this is the biggest games of your season. And for most of these guys, it's the biggest games of their career. And while, like I said, they're the best team coming in, obviously. They're the better team overall. They obviously have a rebounding advantage. They have an overall roster advantage. But we've seen time and time again that the lights can be too bright for players, especially when they haven't been in those situations before. And I feel like for the Nuggets, because they haven't been in this situation before and be like I mentioned, kind of having that pressure and had all those expectations on them to kind of run away with this series, I think that can mess around and hurt them. And then in terms of the biggest weakness for Miami, 
everything rides on Jimmy Butler. Don't get me wrong. They have role players or players on their bench who could come out and play really well. Uh, Caleb Martin, a prime example. We both spoke highly of him. You know, Duncan Robinson can have big moments. Tyler Hero when he's available to play. However, it's pretty clear that when Jimmy Butler is not taking over or if he has a bad shooting performance kind of like in game six, that allows teams to kind of get out big. And it's difficult for Miami to kind of bolster, I mean, muster themselves back into the game just because everybody needs their best player to step up. But I don't, if I'm comparing Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat to the Nuggets and Nikola Jokic, if Jokic has a bad night, I trust somebody else in Denver to step up, maybe for a game or two. Whereas with Miami, I can't exactly say the same thing. Because, like I said, Caleb Martin has been playing really, really well. But Jimmy Butler, I just talked about how bad he was in game six. I think he still dropped over 20-some points. Game seven wasn't exactly his best performance of the series, but he still dropped over 20-plus points. And so because of that, I think that as good as their role players are at what they do, I question if they can have somebody really step up when need be. But all right, let's go ahead and talk about the biggest X factors for each team. The biggest X factors, for um, this time I'm going to start with the Miami I'm going to say the biggest X factor is, is Bam Adebayo going to be aggressive the whole series? We saw this past series in the games against the Celtics, when Bam Adebayo was aggressive along with Jimmy Butler, Miami looked, I'm not going to say unbeatable, but Miami looked like a formidable force. And then in game six, actually, no, game five, game six, and some of the game seven, Bam wasn't nearly as aggressive as he was in those first three games. And it, it showed because, again, like you just mentioned, if Jimmy Butler is off, it's really hard. And so if Jimmy's off and you don't have an aggressive Bam, then it's a recipe for a disaster for Miami. So I think that's their biggest X factor. As far as the Nuggets, um, honestly, I'm going to say who's going to defend Jimmy Butler? Because obviously you have KCP, who's a good defender, but he's small, and Jimmy Butler can take advantage of that mismatch size-wise. You also have Aaron Gordon, who's a good defender, but it's like he can also be prone to foul trouble. So I think those are the biggest X factors. If those guys can stay on the court and defend um, well, then they could bowl well for the Nuggets feel that um for the nuggets i would say the biggest x factor is bruce brown just because you mentioned quite a few players the worthy of being talked about of course nicola aaron gordon jamal murray mpj guys like that but bruce brown is one of those cats who like lat game four against the lakers he was pretty quiet but other than that prior to that i think he had a stretch of like six seven games where he was scoring double digit points coming off of the bench i don't remember which game it was but it was during the playoffs it might have been against the suns where he came off the bench i think had like 27 i think that was the nut i mean get the suns whatever but he's a guy who coming off he's proven he could be that sixth man who can really help take the top off and if the starters for the nuggets need a break he's proven that he could be able to handle that whereas like we talked about with the heat Jimmy Butler's off the court. Who's going to help maintain? Who's going to help keep them in that game and put up big point production? We don't exactly have that definite player. Um, but then for the Heat, 
we're in agreement about Bam Adebayo. You spoke on him being aggressive offensively. I think he also has to be aggressive defensively because we've kind of talked about the size of Bam Adebayo kind of being a disadvantage when going up against bigger centers. But when you're going up against the best center in the game in Nikola Jokic, he's obviously going to get his. But can Bam Adebayo do enough to at least try to contain him? Because if he can't, it could be Nikola Jokic dropping 50 or close to 50 every game. And if you're the Heat, you cannot afford to risk that. But all right, last but, but last but not least, let's go ahead and make our finals predictions. We're going to say who we think wins the series and in how many games, as well as our finals MVP. It pains me to say I'm going to say Nuggets in six. Unfortunately, we're in agreement. I also have Nuggets in six. But all right, I got Jokic for finals MVP. Same. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Buckets... I would love for you to prove us wrong. Bam Adebayo, Duncan Robinson. I don't care who it is. Just somebody. Hell, Udonis has them. If you want to make a game-winning shot to win the Heat the series, sign me up. But I want to see Jimmy Buckets holding a championship, a trophy, once it's all said and done. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery because it has been a lot of juicy statements made over the past few days, and we have to start off with Scottie Pippen, who it just seems always has things to say, especially when it revolves around Michael Jordan. In a recent interview, he talked about LeBron, I mean, Michael Jordan as a teammate, and said this, I've seen Michael Jordan play before I came to the Bulls. He's a horrible player. He was horrible to play with, one-on-one, -on -one, shooting bad shots, all of that. All of a sudden, we're a winning team. Everyone forgot who he was. That's only a snippet of the interview. You kind of have to listen to the whole thing. But it does beg the question, believable or buffoonery, pre-Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan was just another guy, quote-unquote, in the NBA. No. Like, I'm not even, like, I'm a Michael Jordan fan. I don't think he's the GOAT. We all know this. But, like, he wasn't just another guy. He was a supremely talented transcending he had a transcending talent in the nba before scotty got there the thing i will agree with scotty on is that he wasn't a winner before scotty got there because yeah. like i mean he made it to he got put out the first round a couple of years before scotty got there but he wasn't just another guy so i'm gonna say buffoonery yeah i'm gonna call buffoonery on that as well um, like you mentioned, like he didn't have necessarily playoff success before Scotty got there. But I mean, he was still putting up crazy historic numbers and doing so on a terrible team. He was the person who made the Chicago Bulls actually worth watching. And of course, nobody expected them to beat the Pistons or the Steelers. I mean, not Steelers, oh my gosh, wrong sport, or the Celtics. But when you watch, Michael Jordan at least get made it feel like the Bulls had a shot. Now, if he would have just left that he was a horrible teammate, okay, I could have some merit to that. But a horrible player, nah, absolutely not. Uh, but continuing on with some more petty beef, Spencer Dinwiddie and Kyle Kuzma have been going at it for the past few months. And in a recent interview um, with Gilbert Arenas, um, Spencer Dinwiddie was asked about this rivalry. And he said, was asked who would win a game one-on-one. -on -one. To which Spencer replied, I'm winning that easy. He added, I do I respect his talent level? Yes. Do I respect his priorities? No. So believable or buffoonery. Who's winning one-on-one? -on -one? 
Spencer Dinwiddie or Kyle Kuzma? Uh, that's hard because I feel like, like my first initial thought is going Kyle Kuzma because Kyle Kuzma is like six ten and Spencer Dinwiddie is like six six. But I also know and I've heard that Spencer Dinwiddie has has a nice one on one bag. Uh, and I also know that people don't really play defense when they play one on one from personal experience and watching. Uh, I might actually say it's believable. I say believable for Spencer too, just because I trust his jump shot more than I trust Kyle Kuzma's. And like you mentioned, it's not like either of them is going to be playing lockdown D anyway. So I would go Spencer Dinwiddie. And low-key, because their beef just feels so stupid, y'all can just go ahead and play one-on-one, squash it, and stop talking about it. Because at this point, I don't even know what y'all got an issue with each other for it anyway. But all right, a couple more questions before we go ahead and get out of here. Prior to Game 7, when the Miami Heat literally ran away with it, there was a lot of talk about the magnitude of the Boston Celtics potentially coming back from down 3-0. So much so, Draymond Green on his podcast said... First team to come back from a 3-0 deficit, we would love to see it, wouldn't we? Maybe I wouldn't have to hear about 3-1 anymore if this team came back from 3-0. You can throw the 3-1 in the dirt. Forget about it. Believable or buffoonery? Had the Celtics completed the comeback, it would have been a better comeback than the Cavs in 2016. Absolutely not. First and foremost, they came back in the NBA Finals. Secondly... They came back in the NBA Finals against arguably one of the best teams of their generation. So absolutely not. If Boston would have came back against Miami, it's like you were supposed to. <laughs> That's what we no, were expecting. You, you were to supposed do. to. You weren't supposed to be in that position to begin with. Right. So yeah, I'm going to call it buffoonery. Yeah, big buffoonery for everything that you just said. I mean, again, the biggest piece is it's the finals. I don't, if they make it, if they would have made it to the finals, the Celtics, I mean, that's cool. But if they didn't win a championship off of it, who cares? Y'all lost in the finals with, like you mentioned, a supremely better team than what the Cavs had. So, no, absolutely not. And I get it, though. Of course, Warriors and Warriors fans want any reason to stop bringing up 3-1. But this wasn't going to be the thing that stopped it from being brought up. I can promise you that. But all right, last but not least, Nikola Jokic has rightfully been the talk of the NBA after having some amazing couple of seasons. And this year, possibly being the best one yet, particularly because he has a chance to bring home the Denver Nuggets' first ever NBA championship. However, that does not mean he is the greatest or one of the greatest centers of all time, or at least not according to Dwight Howard. In a recent interview, he was asked about who was better in his prime between he and Jokic, to which he said, prime Dwight Howard. I'm dominating every play with a smile on my face. For some people who did not see prime Dwight Howard back in his Orlando Magic days, I'm sure it does sound crazy, but believable or buffoonery, prime Dwight Howard is better than prime Nikola Jokic. Being honest, it's hard to really compare the two because their games were so different. Yeah. Like, Dwight Howard was a dominant force physically, and he was a dominant defensive presence. Yeah. Um, Cody Yelkis is a supremely skilled big. 
Um, he's not. I will give Dwight the edge defensively, sure. but I, from an offensive standpoint, I don't care. I'm taking Nikola over Dwight any day. Hundred percent. He actually can score outside the paint. Um, me. I think being honest, I probably still would take because if you think about it right now, outside of the defensive side of the out from the defensive side of the ball, like the only advantage that. Nicole that Dwight has over Nicole Yogi's is like defensive player of the year. Yeah. But everything else is fairly similar. Like I Dwight never won the MVP Nicola has. They're both they both have been to the NBA finals at least once for now. Like like if if Nicole Yogi's were to win the NBA finals, he's already submitted himself in my opinion is a better all time big than Dwight Howard. But not to discredit Dwight because Dwight was like Dwight was amazing. He was a dominant force. Like Dwight, Dwight stripped us of the most anticipated NBA Finals matchup of LeBron versus Kobe because he beat LeBron that one year, and I was mad as crap because I wanted to see LeBron versus Kobe, and the magic ruined it. So like I'm not going to discredit Dwight, but I think like. Over the course of their careers, by the time it's done, I think more people will say, yep, Nicola versus Dwight. Yeah, I'm saying buffoonery on Dwight being better. I mean, it's funny because prior to Dwight Howard joining the Lakers, he was one of my favorite players. And so for that finals, I was excited for him, but I was obviously like, you're not going to beat my Lakers. And then they proceed to lose in five. Should have been a sweep, but that's neither here nor there. But, yeah, no, I mean, like you mentioned, defensively, yeah, Nikola Jokic cannot touch Dwight Howard. Because I think Dwight won, what, three defensive players of the year in a row? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Like, he was a supremely better defensive player. But if you're looking at the offensive side of the game, not even just shooting, but Nikola Jokic is a very good passer. He's very good at seeing the pace of the feet, I mean, the pace of the court. I mean, just across the board offensively, I'm going to Cole Jokic, and it's not even close. But I understand his – I understand where he's coming from because, again, Prime Dwight Howard was a bad dude. I just don't think he could do him right now. I mean, Nikola Jokic right now compared to Dwight right now, I would say he's higher. And even if Nikola Jokic didn't win a championship this year, I think I'd still, even right now, put him, his prime, over Dwight Howard's prime. Not to disrespect Dwight, but I just think that overall, I think Nikola Jokic is the better player. But all right, let's go ahead and get out of here. But first, like we mentioned, game one is taking place Thursday night in Denver. Who do you think wins the first game of the series? I think I'm going to go Nuggets. Yeah, I'm going to go Nuggets too. But all right, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please sure check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export. For my wrestling fans, don't worry. We still love you. Go ahead and check out that Night of Champions recap. It's a blast and a half. Of course, we recap Night of Champions. We look ahead to Money in the Bank. And then me and Chris, a.k.a. Embryo, discuss... Which Zodiac sign has the best wrestlers? Spoiler alert, is Gemini's. And we discuss the greatest women wrestlers of all time. Uh, Ethan, you got anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, look, you said y'all talked about the greatest female wrestler of all time. Mm-hmm. 
let me guess you said Charlotte. Oh, yeah. And that's not even being biased because uh, I don't know how much of Raw you've been watching, but Trish Stratus has come back, and her match against Night of Champions, against Becky and Night of Champions was really, really good. And many people, like, especially like WWE builds it as she is the greatest women's wrestler of all time. So I was asking him where he ranked or who he thought was the greatest women's wrestler of all time, and then we kind of went on a tangent about that. But personally, I got Trish in my top five for sure. But I think Charlotte is one. Sasha Banks is two. I think I go Trish three. Mickey four. Oscar five. If I had to pick five. Let me, since I was on the show, let me think. I go Sasha one. Charlotte two. Um, Trish three. Bianca four. You're gonna be upset at me, but I'm not a Mickey James person. Oh, I might, go, I might throw Rhea at five. Rhea is a bad mofo, so I respect it. Um, long as you don't say Ronda Rousey in your list, there's no wrong answers. But yeah, uh, absolutely not. Yeah, that's a strong list. I mean, with women's wrestlers, like again, y'all can listen to the podcast. Like we go into do, to into it more, but it's very interesting because like the caliber of wrestling where it was from Trish's day to now is insane. Like Trish Stratus, yeah, like Trish Stratus and Lita, if they were wrestling right now, particularly like Alita or Trish, like they would just kind of be there because the sport and the talent has just elevated so much that what we saw 20 years ago that seemed to be crazy and magnifying now it's just commonplace everybody does that stuff now and so i don't think they would be set apart as much but why i would put trish in that top three is because she was also very captivating on the mic and she had a lot of charisma and like she to be fair she did bring a lot more attention and eyes to the women's division and so like i said listen to the podcast we get into it much more deeply than we are right now but yeah it's, it's a very interesting interesting deep dive But all right, that's our show. Again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you all next time.